Good morning. Morning. My name's Tim. I'm the youth pastor here. Um, when I uh, realized uh, Tom and Lindy were going to go into labor and David had study leave this week, found out I was preaching and I had looked uh, ahead in our First John sermon series and saw the next passage up was the Antichrist. And I said, David, would you like me to preach next or should I pick my own? So you can pick your own. So, okay, good. So I picked my own. Um, but uh, it is a joy to be here with you. If you have your Bibles, you can open up. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Mark 4, 35 to 41. Hear the word of the Lord to us this morning. It says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm and he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of the Lord is forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are not my words. These are yours. This is your revelation to us. God, we find ourselves, as Joey uh, read this morning, in the midst of toil still, in the midst of sin and brokenness and despair. We find ourselves anxious this morning, but God, we know that you have a word that speaks directly to that. God, I pray that through seeing this incredible work of creation, this incredible work that you have done. God, I pray that we would see Jesus more. I pray that our hearts would be encouraged to know that we are not alone, to know the work that you have done and are doing in our lives. God, do all that we ask, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, most of us have this vague recollection, we might want to have tuned it out already, but of the year 2020. Right, So when you look at the events of that year, I'm not going to re recall all of them, but uh, there was obviously we had COVID hit, you had racial unrest, we had political unrest, we had world conflicts, arguments over vaccines, masks, right, all these things. It seemed like every week there was just like a new type kind of scenario that presented itself that was just exhausting. And I remember at one point in, in the heat of the chaos, uh, Steph looked over to me, kids were in bed, we're just kind of talking, and, and I don't remember when during 2020 it was, might have been towards the end, but she looked at me and said, what am I supposed to do with all this, right? You see, wives of pastors have this privilege where they have these wonderful, godly, wise husbands that at any moment they should be able to receive this, this great pastoral advice from in the midst of storms, and I just looked at her and said, I have absolutely no clue. That was my response, because it seemed like the world was falling apart. And as I think about that, fast forward, it's been almost three years 
to the day since she asked me that question. And if I'm honest, life doesn't seem to have gone back to any kind of normal. I'm not just talking about COVID or masks or those things. I'm just talking about in general, for whatever reason, I think we would all maybe admit that the last three years has just seemed like chaos. And not even just the three years in our world, but the three years in our lives since then. I was wondering if this was kind of just me as I was thinking about this sermon. And at one point, I was at a Thai Lotus this week on 81, uh, waiting to, to pick up food. And I look over, and the, the church abiding Savior Lutheran Church had us the church sign. We always love good church sign, right? Um, said, normal is not coming back, but Jesus is. Are you ready? So I saw that, and I thought, okay. It was almost like an affirmation of this isn't just me, right? Things don't feel normal. So what do we do with our lives when we're in those moments? When because of this fallen and broken world that we feel like we're in the thick of it, when we're constantly wondering, right, when are we going to get that phone call that just changes our world? When are we going to see that news headline yet again that just stops us in our tracks and longs to say, God, how long are we going to be here? How long are we going to have to suffer with the unknown with wondering how bad things are going to get. Well, we're drawn to this text. I love this text because this text in Mark 4 brings us in and says, in the midst of these storms, in the midst of when these things are happening, here's what we do. And there are my three points this morning. We first see who Jesus is in the midst of the storm. Second, we see what Jesus does in the midst of the storm. And then lastly, we see our response in light of points one and two. So first, who Jesus is, what he does, and then in light of those two things, what should our response in the midst of the storm be? So kind of setting up this scene, um, uh, you've all heard of, of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is um, crossing the sea. Uh, something important to kind of notice, a little background information on the Sea of Galilee, it was actually uh, 700 feet below sea level. 13 miles long, 8 miles wide, and because of its layout, uh, a lot of times the wind that would come through the surrounding valleys would, would all of a sudden be extreme and like dangerous without warning. And because of this, fishermen would, would kind of avoid fishing in the afternoons during the, the kind of more weather-heavy times of the day. And then also, something to know about these boats, I remember when I was younger and I heard this story, um, my dad and I uh, used to, to have this little sunfish, and so we would go to different lakes, and I mean, it was, it was maybe from like here to that speaker, right? It was small. And so I remember hearing this story thinking like, why, like how is Jesus not already awake? Like, how are the disciples feeling like that to wake him up? Um, and actually, something really cool happened. In 1986, make sure I get this right, one of these boats was actually discovered on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, and and they, historians really do believe like it was a really, really similar boat to the, the, the story refers here. And the boat actually was 27 feet long. So I did the math, um, and it's actually about, to me, and, and uh, about five rows back. That's about how long this boat was. So not a huge like cruise ship, but also not a tiny little sunfish, right? 27 feet long, seven and a half feet wide, and four and a half feet high. So, so the disciples probably would have had to kind of walk to where Jesus was, 
And Jesus was probably curled up. And, and if you have a study Bible at home, I encourage you um, to, to go to it. And, and there's actually the ESV study Bible has a picture uh, based on this, this finding in 1986, what this boat probably looked like. And it says that Jesus was on the stern side, right? That was, I had to look it up. I'm not a, a boater. I don't even know what the word is for someone who knows boats. But not familiar with what stern was, had to look it up. It's the back of the boat, right? So Jesus is sleeping on the back of the boat on a cushion. And in the design I found in, in the Bible, there's actually kind of like a covering on the front and the back part of the boat. So Jesus was probably covered, right? So he doesn't know there's a storm coming. You've all been there. Is there not a better time to rest and more peaceful when there's just some rain coming down, right? Let alone you're the God of the universe, like you could just sleep happy. So Jesus is just snoozing in the back of the boat. Well, then this huge storm comes. The water starts coming into the boat. Then it says Jesus was in the stern sleeping, and they ask him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So think about this, there's a parallel here that we can't miss when you look at their reaction compared to what we often do in storms. What you have here is the disciples had unfavorable circumstances happen to them, right? And it definitely was. They were going through a storm. This wasn't just like, oh, there's some clouds, we better head back soon. The storm was here. They were also experienced fishermen, so it would have taken them a lot to freak out right? Not like me, where if I see like a little cloud, I'm like, we're not going out today. Let's stay in. These fishermen knew what they were doing. And as a storm comes, they look to Jesus, who, based on the fact that he's sleeping, what do they do? They interpret his, his inaction, his sleeping, in their question, you must not care about us, Jesus. Based on your posture, do you not care that we are perishing? And if he doesn't care, they say, guess what? He must not be good. You've got to wonder if in the back of their minds they're thinking, he doesn't care that we're perishing. Is he good? You know, as I, I think about it, I, I had this cool thing pop up on Facebook where you know, it has a little, one of my favorite things to do is the little memories where it says, you know, what happened on this year, one year, two year, three year. And, and it popped up that eight years ago um, on Wednesday was my, uh, I, I became ordained in the PCA. And as I reflect on walking alongside so many people during some of the best and worst times of their lives. When I reflect on loss of life, on marriages falling apart, on the cancer diagnosis, I think of some of my own struggles, right? My own storms. Together with many of you at times, my heart has not said this out loud, but it has often wanted to go to Jesus and say, do you not care that I am perishing? Jesus, I'm on, I'm on emergency mode. I'm on empty, right? No, no, no. Last week already happened. Again, this week, this is going to happen. Jesus, do you not care that my world is falling apart? And I think if we're honest, when storms often happen, there's, one, there's, there's really only one of two options that we can go to. Either Jesus is sovereign and in control and on his throne, or he doesn't care that we're perishing. Because my circumstances are bringing out fear and anxiousness, and I don't know how this is going to end, it must mean that God doesn't care. Because guess what I always know is true? God is always in control. God always has the power to do anything he wants. And so I look at what's going on in my life. I sometimes look at what's going on in others' lives, and I can be tempted to think, Jesus, do you not care what they're going through? And so we have one of these two options. The fascinating thing with the second option when we go there sometimes 
is what, this is what we're actually saying. We're actually saying that, that me, Tim Pitzer, should get to wake up and kind of talk to God or almost say, hey, hey, God, this is how you should orchestrate your plan. This is how the scenarios in this, in this life should look like, right? It puts me above God way, God's ways. I think about Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So a question for you all to kind of reflect on this point one is, which is it for you? When you think about who Jesus is, which option do you think you have? When you tend to go through storms, unexpected circumstances, job losses, financial scares, death, sickness, whatever it is, how does your perception of who Jesus is change in that moment? Which one do you go to? Because you can only go to one of two options. Either Jesus is still on his throne and powerful and sovereign, or it must mean that he doesn't care. Anytime things like this happen, we're all going through, it causes us to wrestle deeply with who is Jesus. I had a pastor friend who used to, so simple, but always stuck with me. He always used to say, like, you have to wrestle with who Jesus is. And he, he will say that to Christians and non-Christians. And I say that to my students a lot of times, that, that if you haven't thought about it, you have to encounter the person of Jesus and decide who is he. Like, he's too big of a figure in, in history to kind of say, uh, I haven't really dealt with that one yet. Later on, right? Later on, I'll, I'll really think of who actually is Jesus? Do I really believe the scriptures of who Jesus is? So in order to figure this out, this is really cool. Look at verse 38 again. It says, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they awoke and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then it says that he awoke again. And this is easy to miss, but I think these first three words actually help us answer this point one. It says, and he awoke he doesn't go back to bed. He didn't say, oh, man, they're freaking out again. Like, they'll be fine. I know, I know the storm in our creation plan. You're going to be fine, right? It says he awoke, and he stayed awake. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that shouldn't be surprising to you. Let me put it this way. I, I have a, I don't have a, it's not a written list, but I kind of have like a list in my mind of, of what I call my 3 a.m. friends. They're my friends where if something awful happens and it's 3 a.m. and the world is sleeping, I know that I can call, right? Some of you are probably thinking like, oh, I hope I'm not his 3 a.m. friend. Um, I won't reveal who they are, but I've got those. I've got those friends where I can just call and say, man, I'm not okay. And it's something about those friends they're on that list if I know who they are. I know what they're like. They're not someone that's going to say, really, Tim? Like, you're freaking out over this? Or you need no, they're the ones that are saying, I'm there, man. I'm there. I can either talk to you now or I'm coming. They're there. Here's the thing. You're not going to wake Jesus up if you don't know who he is. You're not going to want to go to him if you don't understand fully what his character is like. As I think about this, I can't help but go to Matthew 11, right? This is the, the go-to passage, I feel like, for this. There's many passages, 
But Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, this says who Jesus is. This is what the disciples knew and were learning throughout these times with Jesus, right? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. One type of translation for this word lowly is another way to say it is that Jesus is accessible. The creator of the universe, the God that holds all things in his hands, is accessible to his children. You know, I, uh, I grew up uh, with, with two sisters, so I have an older one, younger one. I am, by all intents and purposes, the stereotypical middle child and everything that goes into there. So my childhood was spent um, bothering my sisters. That was my role, my responsibility. I took it seriously, and I did it well, I like to think. So, so all the time, you know, um, I mean, I can't think of all specific, <laughs> probably blocked it out, but just always bothering my sisters, annoying them. Um, and, and the bothering always stopped when, I mean, I could still hear, hear the events when they would say, Dad, right, I still get kind of like chills when I hear my sister's tone of voice. Why? It's because I was usually bothering them, and they knew that what they could do is that they appealed to Dad, and Dad was the end of the injustice that was happening, right? I knew that when they appealed to Dad, whatever irresponsible thing I was doing was about to end, and here's the thing. Have you been able to call him like that? Have you been able to say, oh, I'm, I'm at the end, Jesus? Have you cried out in the midst of that storm? Well, that's who Jesus is. Let's look at what he does. Verse 39, again, it says, And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the sea, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And as, look at what, as we look at what he does, this word rebukes is actually a little bit earlier in the, in the, the Gospel of Mark in chapter 1. It says there was a man in a synagogue uh, with an unclean spirit in him. And this is uh, Mark chapter 1, 23 to 27. It says, and immediately there was a man in their synagogue, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with the authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. You know, with this, I can't help but think that the Westminster Shorter Catechism, number 26, says, how does Christ execute the office of a king? And the answer is, Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. So we're saying that, that Jesus has the same authority over all creation that he does over spirits, people, and everything else. Let me say it this way. We have a Jesus. Think about this, because I know a lot, for a lot of us, we've been probably hearing this story since we were like five years old. But think about what's going on. We have a Jesus who even the winds and the sea 
listened to. So that right there tells us we have a Jesus who is sovereign and in complete control. I don't know about you, but anyone who has the ability to tell the winds and the sea and storms what to do when they listen, I'm listening to that person. Tim Keller, in his commentary on this exact passage, says it this way. He says, Jesus is telling the sailors he's not just powerful, but he is power itself. Anyone or anything in the whole universe that has power has it on loan from me. But this is interesting because if I'm Jesus and you accuse me, the God of the universe, after everything I've done of of not caring, I'm going to have some kind of, of defense, right? Some kind of rebuttal. But that's not what Jesus does. He actually just gets up, and after the disciples accuse him of not caring, he, he simply gets up, and his first action is calming the storm. Think about that. He makes an adjustment in the normal process of earth and creation to make his disciples feel comfortable. That's what Jesus does. So church, we need to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he does. He is one who not only is in control and over all things, but that he is for us. I think if you're like me, and in many ways I hope you're not, but as I reflect on who I think Jesus is and and what I see him doing in my prayer time, I have personally no problem seeing Jesus for sovereign and in control. But I at times have a hard time thinking that he actually cares and wants to direct his power towards my care my well-being, that he's willing to get involved in my mess, in my storm, in my fear. But look at what he did. He calmed the seas for them. He's active and working. I'm going to apologize because this is probably like the third time I've said this from the pulpit, but I'm just going to say it again. My favorite theme from RYM, my kids, like my students like have this memorized. They're probably tired of me talking about it. 2016, it was, it was so brilliant um, and I have gone back to it so many times. The theme, every different summer, RYM, the camp we go to, has a different theme, and all the talks are based on that. And the second I saw it, I knew that was going to be a special summer. It said, God is at work even when it feels like he is not. I mean, doesn't that capture, like, the posture of the disciples? Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? We're in a storm, Right? It must mean that this teacher that has asked us to follow him, he's done working. He's snoozing. He's off the job. We're supposed to be his disciples that are learning. Well, now we're in the midst of a storm. And so often I know I'm not alone in this, that I look at the world around me, I look at the circumstances, and I say, God, are you still working? God, are you still there? Are you still about caring for your people and changing hearts? And sometimes I find that in the middle of some of life's scariest and darkest times for people, what they're concerned with isn't just what God is going to allow, but, but how much suffering will happen. It's the biggest question of, has God abandoned me? Has he left me finally to my sin and my misery? Has my sin caught up to haunt me? Is he holding it against me? Does he care about me? As we go into point three here, we're going to see how much Jesus does actually care that we're perishing. Let's look at our response to both who Jesus is and what he's doing. Verse 40 to 41 says, well, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, 
Who then is this that even the winds and the sea obeys him? So when Jesus asked this question, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? It reminds me of a reality, reality I remember going back during COVID and heard several pastors say over some of the early stages, they would say, it's tempting for us all to think that, that this global pandemic was the cause of everything we're experiencing now, right? Of all the, the anxiousness, of, of the fighting, of the hostility. The reality is, though, and one of them said this, our spiritual status is not like the stock market and other things where we were doing really well before this global pandemic hit. These fears, this anxiousness, I know this may be hard to believe, but they weren't caused by this. They were already inside our hearts waiting to be revealed. And what I think storms do in all of us, right, is they expose what's in our hearts, that we've been putting on the camouflage of security from things that don't last. And we don't actually see what's going on until those, those fake gods, those fake saviors are stripped away. I like to call it sometimes that they're imposters of the throne, right? Do you have a, a security savior? Well, when you lose your job, that imposter loses his throne. Do you have a health savior where you say, everything's going to be okay as long as I get and keep my health? Well, guess what? When the cancer diagnosis hits, another imposter from the throne leaves. And we, find, and we have Jesus on his throne and we can see our full need for dependence on him. I mean, isn't that what's happening in these verses? They're, they're so terrified because something that is normally so easy, so predictable, suddenly becomes terrifying. And Jesus goes right on to the heart and says, after everything we've been through, right, all the ministry, everything you've seen me do, do you still not trust me? Do you still not have faith? I think this, I think Jesus is actually more upset about the underlying status of their hearts that showed itself even before the storm than he's actually upset that they woke him and that they're scared of the storm. Let me say that again. I think Jesus is actually more upset at what he sees is inside the hearts of the disciples than that they're scared of the storm. Because the, think about the question they had. They didn't wake up to him and just say, Jesus, we're scared. Like, this seems like a bad one. We've been through storms, but like, no, they, they woke him up and they said, do you not care that we're perishing? And that's what makes storms like what you and I go through so difficult. Because what happens is we want to just tell God, God, please change these set up circumstances. God, please, please change what's going on in my life. Please have this go away. Please have this get better. Please help me get over this. And the hard thing about storms is that God is much more about changing us than he is about the circumstances. So let me ask you a question that at the end, uh, in a sense, I wish that I knew every single storm that all of you were going through. But I know if you're like me, it just keeps, to seem, it just keeps on happening, right? Could it be that at the end of whatever you're going through, will you be able to cry to your heavenly Father differently? Will you be able to, because of who Jesus is in the storm, because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, because of the action that he does, will you be able to cry to Jesus differently in the next storm that you go through? 
Perhaps it will be closer to your tongue to cry out to him in desperation because you went through a season of life where you thought you could handle it all. You know, it's easy to cry for dad, right, when the bully's right there, when bad things are happening. But one of the times that we often don't cry for Jesus is when the storm seems manageable. And here's another whole another thought. Could you actually see where the storm that's not as scary is actually a little bit more dangerous for our souls? The storm that doesn't cause us to just lay down on our knees, but the storm that, that we look at and we say, ah, I got this one. I don't have to wake Jesus up. At dawn uh, this Wednesday morning, we, we do a Bible study on Wednesday mornings at 6.30. We look at Scripture. We looked at Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It's one of those verses, if you're like me, I mean, I, I've, I've heard this verse over and over again, right? But something struck me. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. But in everything, not just in your worst days, not just when the storm is bad, but in everything. And what does that lead to later on? It leads to a peace of God that transcends all normal understanding of what this world would say would make sense. The reality is that all situations, great and small, in this fallen and broken world are meant to drive us to our knees to a Savior. The disciples experienced this. Again, look at verse 41. And it says, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that the wind and the seas obey him? Through this storm, these disciples went from just a fear of their circumstances to such a realization of the power of God. We just sang about it, right? That nothing can stand against the power of God. So how do we get there? How do we have that response? It's actually from points one and two, from seeing Christ, seeing who he is, what he does. Well, how do we do that? We do this by reading this, by saying, Jesus, I want to know more of who you are, right? And God's word tells us this is the God that you have. This is what he's like. We had a, a 2016, uh, my bro, uh, wife's brother was diagnosed with cancer, osteosarcoma, um, kind of a rare cancer. Um, he had uh, four, four girls. It was really difficult. And I remember one of the prayers that he asked his family to pray for was he would get so fearful and anxious that he asked us to pray that he'd be able to stay awake long enough to read scripture, that he would have the strength to reflect on, especially the Psalms, because when he did that, and when he was able to do that for an hour straight, he would say he had the peace of God. You know, as I think about that in conclusion, here's what I can't do, and if any pastor tells you this, you have permission to run away from that church. I can't look at you and say, that your storms are just going to go away if you trust Jesus more, right? It's not a good application of this text. But think about this. When Jesus says, do you not have faith? He's not saying, do you not have the faith that I can calm the storm, right? He's not saying to the disciples. He's saying, do you not have the faith that I can save you? 
Think about the parallels to this. The disciples came to him and said, do you not care that we're perishing? This isn't just about a storm. And if I'm Jesus, I'm thinking, do you understand what I just did for you? I've kept the law of God perfectly. I've revealed myself to you. And now you want to know if I care that you're perishing? You got to wonder if Jesus is thinking, one day soon, you're going to see how much I care that you're perishing. One day soon, I'm going to show you my power by not just telling the storm to be still, I'm going to tell my body to be still. That one day, right now in this story, we see his power by action. One day, you will see my power by inaction. That you will see I will conquer the biggest storm in your life, the separation of God from man, and I'm going to stay on that cross until every last drop of blood has been spilt. It's almost as if he's saying, and he's saying to us, yes, I deeply care that you're perishing. And take heart. I'm going to show you how low I'm going to go. I'm going to be rejected by God the Father. I'm going to go through such an agony that no one has experienced, and I'm going to experience the wrath of God because the storm that you're in now, it is nothing compared to the storm that was brought up in Genesis 3, and all the world is suffering, and I have the good news of salvation. That is the storm that we need to be still. And in the midst of that, I'm not saying that your storm is not significant. I'm saying to you, church, take heart, because the greatest storm that we needed conquered has been fully paid for and conquered by the blood of Christ on the cross. Let's pray. God, if we just believed this every second of the day, life would seem easier. And yet, God, like me, I leave these doors and I see unpredictable things. I see circumstances that I don't know how to handle. I see a world that rejects you, that wants to turn to anything other than Christ. And God, it is because of that that even more we need to remind ourselves of the promises of God that you tell us you will never forsake us. God, you're not like us. You keep your promises. You love us unconditionally. And so God, I pray that whatever we face when we walk out those doors today, that if that phone call happens, if that news article comes in front of us, God, that we are able to declare that you are still on your throne, that you are still good, and that you still love your children, and that you care that we are perishing and that you made a way. God, do all that we ask, for we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.